Brought to you by the Mary Christie Institute, a thought leadership organization dedicated to the behavioral health and well-being of teens and young adults. We have a particular focus on college students. I'm Marjorie Malpedi, the executive director of the Mary Christie Institute. And I'm Dana Humphrey, the associate director of the Mary Christie Institute, and we're the hosts of the podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Holly Chessman, Director of Research and Practice at the American Council on Education. Welcome, Holly. Thank you, Marge. It's good to be here. It's great to have you. So Holly came to ACE with an extensive background in student affairs and began her work there focusing specifically on college student mental health. Holly, it is obvious that you had a heavy hand in ACE's concentration on these issues, which is really terrific, and we're so grateful for it. In fact, ACE has been a valuable resource for colleges and universities throughout the pandemic, particularly in the area of college student mental health. So as students head back to campus, we hope to talk with you today about the advice and resources that you and ACE are providing schools. And I'd like to focus on three major research projects that you have been involved in that have had particular particular relevance for administrators, particularly at this time, concerning the addressment of mental health. So I might start with the President's Pulse Point surveys. These have been super helpful throughout the pandemic, and we've really enjoyed reading these and understanding where mental health is sort of landing among the many priorities that presidents have. Can you talk about the impetus for that work and, and some of the big takeaways of that survey project? Absolutely happy to. So when the pandemic started in March 2020, and institutions were pivoting online and trying to figure out how to best operate in the new normal, ACE thought it would be important to offer our member presidents in the larger higher education field an opportunity to learn what other presidents were doing in response to the pandemic. We felt like it was a good place to ask presidents what they were doing and how they were responding to challenges they were facing. And then we ran the survey basically from April 2020 to April 2021. And it was about seven or eight surveys that we fielded. One of the questions that we actually created for the survey, which was a sort of a way to get a quick hit on what was top of mind for presidents. We gave presidents a list of pressing issues that we gleaned from the press and what we're hearing from our presidents. And the list would slightly change based on the timing of the survey, but for the most part, stayed pretty static throughout the survey series. I think one of the things that you'll see on this list is that in the beginning of the pandemic, the question revealed that the most top of mind concern for a presence was like enrollment numbers and long-term financial viability of the institution and things like sustaining online learning environment. And so at that point, student mental health and the mental health of students was in about the top five concerns of presidents. But as the pandemic wore on and we continued to field the survey, you saw the mental health of students actually jump to the top of the list of the major issues starting in the summer behind operating plans and enrollment. And then when the students came back in September, it was really super obvious that it became president's number one concern. It was definitely something that they were thinking about and hearing about and trying to address on their own campuses. But it remained the number one concern throughout the rest of the series all the way through until April 2021. What was interesting is that the mental health of faculty and staff actually ranked in the middle in the first couple halves of the pandemic. And then by November, the mental health of faculty and staff also ranked closely behind students' mental health. That's really interesting as we think about going into this next new school year. So the last survey that was done was in April. So is your sense as a researcher that this remains top of mind for presidents as they think about the new normal and and heading into what will be 2022? And if so, do you see that your members appear to be interested or looking for advice 
around mental health support, which kind of pivots into the second question I had, which is about the task forces. Do you see as a result of this sort of interest and concern that presidents are really looking and administrators are looking for more resources around what to do for mental health support for students? Absolutely. So I think one of the interesting things that we saw in the survey and that sort of in response to your questions is that this remains a top of mind concern for presidents and will continue to be a top of mind concern for presidents. We learned in the survey that telehealth is one of the most popular efforts that presidents are looking to implement on their own campuses and forming partnerships with external mental health providers and in investing more in the counseling center are some of the strategies that they're looking towards for the fall semester. I think one of the things that's driving that is that presidents are hearing about anxiety and they're hearing about depression most frequently from students and, and from the folks that they work with on campus. And we're also learning that you know, presidents at community colleges are actually um, hearing more about food insecurity and housing insecurity. So these are top issues and will continue to be top issues as this pandemic continues on into, unfortunately, I think into the fall term. So I alluded to a Another research effort that you had led, Holly, and that was the report on the aggregation of mental health task forces, which was very interesting because you were providing best practices there for a lot of the work that had already been done on college campuses around mental health task forces. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. That work remains extremely relevant, obviously. So two questions. One is I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. I certainly think our audience would for those who had not yet read that report. And second, how do you see these institution-wide initiatives on student mental health moving forward into the future, given what we know about presidents' concern for their students' mental health? That's a great question. You know, one of our member presidents, a couple, a little over a year ago, reached out to us to learn what other institutions were doing to address mental health on their campuses through mental health task forces. And this was something that prompted us to do an analysis across 16 current reports and interviewed 10 task force leaders of those of, of those reports. I and mean, we really took time to identify what was common and different with an eye toward what would we advise a president or a campus leader to think about as they set up their own task forces. The report is, itself is actually practice oriented, but it's backed by our analysis, interviews with the task force leaders and conversations with external stakeholders, specifically from JED, SLC Wellbeing, Healthy Minds, ACH, and NYU. So we actually present the data and then we follow up with insights and observations for leaders to consider. We also did a quantitative, excuse me, a qualitative analysis of task force recommendations to help leaders learn what their own task forces might recommend. So we we analyzed over close to 500 task force recommendations and, and classified those into different groups so presidents could understand what are the things that you're going to see coming out of a task force so that you can be prepared to address it either with a financial support or with the verbal or action support. So those are some of the things that we found. When we did the pulse point, we actually asked presidents if they were forming task forces to look at student mental health on their campuses. And close to about 20% said that they were, they had or, or were going to convene task forces to do those um, analyses and, and to talk through and think about how can they address mental health on their own campuses. And to your question, you know, the institution-wide initiatives moving forward, I think we're going to see more task forces and more concerted efforts because as a lot of folks who talk about this topic say is that 
the student mental health is not just a counseling center issue, right? It's an issue that concerns the entire campus community. So whether you are a faculty member or a provost or a dean, that the, the topic itself is important and, and permeates across the organization. And so I think from an institution-wide perspective, I think you're going to see that institutions are going to need to figure out how to best support students in this new normal. And there's going to be a lot of different issues that are coming to campus, right? A lot of our sophomores who are going to be coming to our campuses have never actually physically set foot on the campuses during their term. So there's going to be a lot of different nuanced things that not only staff and staff are going to be working through, but faculty as well. So it's going to be an institution-wide response is going to be really important to be effectively address the large scale that this pandemic is, is bringing to our campuses. Yeah, that was a great conclusion on that, Holly. A couple of just comments. One is it's terrific that you took on this effort because, again, the intensity of the concern around this warrants not just trying new things, but also seeing what has been proven to to work. So I think aggregating some of the recommendations is so helpful as people and certainly institutions look around and see what best practices are out there. So it's been great work. You mentioned nuances of sort of the new normal, and I want to jump now to your latest report. So I think that one of the biggest considerations coming out of the last year and a half is the different ways that student groups have experienced the pandemic, right? And so how both in general and how identity impacts mental health and well-being, certainly going forward. So again, ACE has been at the cutting edge of this with this new report, Well-Being for Students with Minoritized Identities. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that report. How did this collaboration come about? Because I understand, if I'm correct, that it was also with Wake Forest, correct? Yes, correct. It's with uh, Nicole Bracado and her group out of Wake Forest Well-Being Collaborative. And they were a group that I actually reached out to because I'd seen all the great research they were doing and was looking for a collaborative opportunity for us to work together on the topic of well-being because mental health obviously is incorporated into the umbrella of well-being. And so we had a, a great conversation, I would say about a, over a year ago or so, and they had some great data. We had a great uh, opportunity to sort of showcase some of that data and give our leaders some insights on how to best support students who have minoritized identities on our campuses. That's great. It was a terrific report. And just a couple of questions that I think are particularly uh, important for folks as, again, they plan for improved support for students. And one is you, you make a point about well-being and academic success and how the data show there is a negative correlation for students with minoritized identities. Talk a little bit more about that, if you would. What are some of the reasons for that? And, and what are some of the different barriers that these subpopulation groups face? Yeah, there's a lot of reasons for that, right? That there's a, a critical step toward improving a student's environment is addressing like exclusionary policies, racism, homophobia, transphobia, and other systemic barriers that might exist, whether that be non-inclusive policies around bathrooms or policies that limit a student's ability to potentially attend or participate in an activity or program based on what they're able to afford. These are systemic barriers, and they will not only just diminish a student's well-being, but will make it very difficult for them to focus on their academic success. Yeah, some of the data you had that were really eye-opening. And so under 
understanding that and hopefully addressing some of that is super important. It's also something that I think is fairly, I wouldn't say it's new, but I, I feel like this report was really groundbreaking in that sense. I mean, you really are unpacking something very important here. What does the report recommend? And again, folks can read it, but in terms of culture change, I know you, you talk about something, I thought this was a great term, fundamentally diverse design, which goes beyond just equity and inclusion. What do you mean by that? And what does that mean for administrators who are really trying to to really get at this issue? I think one of the things is it's not just what can we do to be more equitable and inclusive, but looking at our, our systems and our structures and deconstructing those and identifying where are these systemic barriers and our potential frameworks and thinking that we move through our colleges and universities with maybe limiting and not supporting students who may have historically minoritized identities. There are ways to address that and, and begin to address that. One of the things that we talk about in the report is how assessment is really essential to establish a well-being baseline of the student population and really more specifically of, of the subjective well-being of students who have minoritized identities. Before introducing new new programs and resources and services on campus, institutions really need to establish an understanding of what their well-being baseline is on campus in order to comprehend the efficacy of our new of newly introduced programs of like or that are meant to be supportive of equity and inclusion and well-being, being able to understand where the institution is at and where it's moving and whether or not these, these programs and services are efficacious is really, assessment becomes really important. Um, we recommend a couple of different assessments, ACHA, Healthy Minds, Wake Forest, Well-Being Assessment, and many others. There's a couple others that are actually featured in the report. We also give our administrators an opportunity to look at different frameworks. Uh, the Steve Fund and Jed Foundation have a really great equity and mental health framework that really challenges institutions to look at the systemic nature of some other institutions to support the well-being of students of color on their campuses. For example, um, the Okanagan Charter out of Canada has a really great framework that guides people in, in looking at their systems and structures as well and the things that might be inhibiting the well-being of folks on campus. So we give a couple different options for folks to take a look at to see how to best approach this on their own campuses. That's great. Fantastic resource for administrators who are doing this work, Holly. In the last few minutes, I just wanted to ask you about what's up for ACE in terms of your research agenda. I think we agree, and it's sort of a conclusion of this conversation and many that folks in our work are having, which is a good thing, which is that there will be more emphasis on supporting student mental health going into what we're thinking of post-pandemic, but hopefully we haven't really achieved post-pandemic yet, obviously. But again, back to ACE's agenda. I mean, your role in supporting college presidents and their cabinets and the community members in with research, best practices and advice. What are you thinking about in the fall and going into 2022? Sure. One of the things that we're hoping to publish in the next couple months is a resource guide for college and university presidents based on the data that we, we were able to glean from the Pulse Point and provide recommendations in a path forward, drawing from the different resources that have come out during this the pandemic, including your, your own great report on faculty and mental health and student mental health, as well as our colleagues at the Steve Fund and Jed Foundation who released their work on the equity and mental health framework and actually implementing it on, on a number of campuses and making sure that we're sharing the good work of our colleagues in the mental health space, including Healthy Minds, ACHA, and others. What we hope to actually do too is we'll be, look, we're looking at a potential summit 
in the spring semester to talk more about this issue as well. It's obviously a top of mind issue and will continue to be a top of mind issue for our, our members and for college and university presidents, as well as those who are on the ground working with students on the regular basis. So anything that we can do to, to, to help support everyone who's doing the good work in, in te- helping our students get, be successful is what we hope to support in the next couple months. That's terrific. As one of your partners, I've got to say, Holly, we are so grateful for ACE and your work in this area, and we'll continue to rely on that going forward. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's always great to have you on the quadcast. Thank you so much, Marta. It was really great to be here. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. This has been the Quadcast, a program of the Mary Christie Institute. To learn more about our work, go to marychristieinstitute.org, where you can sign up for our other programs, like the MC Feed and the Mary Christie Quarterly. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening. 